you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can be turning in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, you're looking at verses 5 through 13 this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Now let me ask you a rather serious question this morning. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Is it vibrant? Is it effective? Or is it non-existent? Or nearly non-existent? Sadly, today in the Western church, and especially here in the American church, one of the most neglected of the spiritual disciplines is prayer. In fact, D.A. Carson notes, what is both surprising and depressing is the sheer prayerlessness that characterizes so much of the Western church. It is surprising because it is out of step with the Bible that portrays what Christians, uh, Christian living should be. It is depressing because it frequently coexists with abounding Christian activity that, is some, that somehow seems hollow, frivolous, and superficial. Dear church, as we study a gospel-shaped outreach, we need to understand that if we attempt to do outreach without prayer, effective prayer, then our efforts are in vain. We are going to commit to gospel-shaped outreach. If we're going to commit to living the Christian life, then we must be effective in prayer. As we've been looking at gospel-shaped outreach, remember last week we, we answered the question, what is the gospel plan? What is the gospel plan? And we said last week that cursed by sin, our only hope of salvation is faith in God's promised Savior, Jesus Christ. Cursed by sin, because of the curse of sin upon us, our only hope and the world's only hope of salvation is faith in God's promised Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this week, we're looking at the question, how should we pray? How should we pray? If we are to be effective in outreach, effective in evangelists, we must be effective in prayer. So today as we look at Matthew 6, 5 through 13, we learn this, effective prayer is God-centered prayer. Effective prayer is God-centered prayer. So this morning, I want you to, as we look at this text, we look at the Lord's Prayer, His model prayer. As we look at this, I want you to, to learn the model of prayer, learn the pattern of prayer that that Jesus teaches us as his disciples. And I want you to take that and, and go with that and uh, put that into your prayer life. Use that in your own prayer life to make sure that your prayer life is effective. So let's go to our text this morning. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. 
Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but, to li- to, but deliver us from evil. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. As we look at this text this morning, we are focusing in on the Lord's prayer there, the Lord's model prayer. But but let me give you some of the the context here of our text. Uh, We are in the midst, at this point in in Matthew chapter 6, we're in the midst of uh, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, His Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is it's a sermon to His disciples. It's a sermon to His disciples. So He begins with uh, characteristics of a faithful disciple in the Beatitudes. And then He moves to uh, the ethics of a faithful, uh, of a faithful disciple, uh, telling them how they ought to, to live, how they are to think about anger and lust and divorce and oaths and so on and so forth. And then he comes to the prayer of a faithful disciple. The prayer of a faithful disciple. And that's where we're coming to today in our text. It's, it's looking at the prayer of a faithful disciple. What does the prayer life of a faithful disciple look like? And at the beginning of that, he, he starts this by showing us what not to do, how not to pray. And the first thing that he says there is don't be like the hypocrites do. Don't be like the hypocrites who are self-serving. The hypocrites are the ones who, who go out and they, they go in the street corners and they pray out loud in the, in the street corners. Or, or they stand up in, in the church and pray with such a, an eloquence. And, and what their whole purpose in their prayers is, is to bring attention to themselves. They want to be uh, upheld by their f- fellow brothers and sisters. They, they want the applause of men. They're self-seeking and self-serving in their prayers. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. The second, he says, don't be like the Gentiles and be self-sufficient. Don't be like the Gentiles and be self-sufficient. The Gentiles, he said, they go and they, they pray, they repeat their prayers. They, they repeat words. They, they think with many words their prayers will be heard. They're self-sufficient. They think because of their means, what they do, 
then the gods will certainly hear them. Uh, this is exemplified back in 1 Kings. 1 Kings when uh, Elijah, Elijah is, uh, is in the battle with the prophets of Baal. And you remember the story there in, in 1 Kings with Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal. They get into a contest and Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, you, you take a sacrifice and you put it on an altar and you call out to Baal and I'll take a sacrifice and I'll put it on an altar and I'm going to call out to God and whichever God comes down and consumes the sacrifice, we know that is the true God. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26, it tells us there that the prophets of Baal, they prayed morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. You see, that's the, that's the, 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 uh, the task of, of, a, of a pagan prayer. Excuse me. Uh, that's how the, the pagan works. That's how the Gentiles work to pray to these empty gods. They think if they just repeat these words, if they pray harder, if they pray longer, then God will have to listen to them. But Jesus says, don't be like the pagan. Don't be like the Gentile and be self-sufficient. Instead, he says, pray like this. Pray like this. Now, we must understand, and most of us probably understand this, that Jesus is not giving this Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, as something to be repeated, right? It's not just something that we just say empty and we repeat this prayer and all is well. But he's giving us a pattern of prayer, a pattern of prayer. He says pray like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. And so we take this prayer, we look at it, and we learn the pattern of prayer from this prayer. And this morning, as we look at this pattern of prayer that the Lord gives us, we see three keys to effective prayer. Three keys to effective prayer in this passage. First of all, as we begin with the Lord's Prayer, we, we see the first key to effective prayer is to begin with a God-given position. Begin with a God-given position. Now, when I say begin with a God-given position, I'm not talking about kneeling or standing or sitting or whatever. We're talking about something greater than that. A God-given position, your place in His kingdom. And Jesus says there, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That phrase there indicates our God-given position. The God-given position we must have when we come to the Lord in prayer. We began as a beloved child before God. We began as a beloved child, our Father. Our Father. Notice that. Take note of that. Our Father. This was a radical concept in Jesus' day. Oh, the Israelites, they might have talked about uh, God as Father of creation. Or they might have talked about God as Father of Israel. But Jesus, he changed that pers perspective when he came. When Jesus came, now he talks about a God who is my father. He is an individual father. 
And that term father, it's not my creator, it's my father. There's, there's an intimacy there. There's an intimacy. There's something about someone being a, another person's father. There's a, a special relationship, a special bond there. The religious people of Jesus' day, they did not like it when Jesus, he, he talked about his father in heaven because they saw, saw that as irreverent towards God. But Jesus, he is correcting the concept. In fact, with Jesus coming, so much changes, but this is the, the important thing that changes. With Jesus, the relationship with God, our relationship with God, radically changes. Everyone can speak of God as their creator, but only a few can say, Father. Speak of God as Father. Jesus even takes this a step further. We see in other places that Jesus, he talks about Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba is the uh, Aramaic term for Father, but it's even more intimate. It's a term of endearment. It's like saying, Daddy. Father seems so official to us. But Abba is different. It's a it's, it's term of endearment. Daddy, Daddy, listen to me. And this began even into the church. It, at the church age, as the church began to grow and come into Christ, uh, they began to take up that same language indeed. Paul. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, Verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, in Christ, we can come to God, God as our Daddy, who loves us and wants to hear from us. We began in a God-given position as beloved children of God. And we, we go on to say, before an almighty, all-powerful Father. Beloved children before an all-powerful Father. That's what it says there. That's what it means there. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Note, uh, recognizing that God is in heaven is not just talking about the place in which He dwells. God doesn't just dwell in heaven. God is um, omnipresent. He is everywhere. But saying that our Father in heaven, it, it indicates God's position. It indicates His position. We are in the position of His beloved children, but He is in a position of sovereign God. He is God in heaven, Father in heaven. He is over all, ruling over all, powerful over all. Oh, dear Christian, do you see the wonder of this? We began prayer in a God-given position as children, beloved children of God, before an almighty, all-powerful, sovereign Father. Oh, what can stand before us? What can defeat us? When we are children the Almighty God. Oh, dear friends, see this. Understand this. 
We began, we must begin with a God-given position as beloved children before an all-powerful Father. We need to understand the wonderful privilege this is. You know, the office of the president is one of the most powerful offices in all the world. Many mighty leaders throughout the world, they, they vie to, to get to entertain with the, the president, to, to have a bit of his attention, to get a, just a piece of his time. And, and relatively few actually ever get to sit with the president. I don't know, has anybody here uh, called up the president and, and got to sit down with him? Right? That's a privileged position to be in. He is a powerful man, and not everyone gets in to see the president. Same was true when John F. Kennedy was president. He was a powerful man, one of the most powerful men in the world. And mighty men, great leaders throughout, vied for his attention. But very few ever got in to see President Kennedy. But there was one person who had almost limitless access to the president. Can you guess who it was? Little John Jr., his son. In fact, you can, you can search the internet and find pictures of little John Jr. playing under his daddy's desk while his daddy is sitting there doing the, the business of the presidency. He didn't have to have, uh, he, he never had to have an appointment. He never had to call in advance and, and tell him he was coming. When little John Jr. wanted to see Daddy, he walked down the halls of the White House into the Oval Office and he said, Daddy, I'm here. He always had his daddy's attention. How much more do we as children of God have the privilege of our Father's attention and affections. How much more do we have His availability to us when He is all-powerful, all-wise? God's never too busy for us. He's never too busy. He's always available for His children. Oh, we must begin with a God-given position, but notice, I want you to notice this, this is a God-given position. It's not something that we earn. There's not anything that we can do to become a child of God ourselves, but it is a God-given position. It is given by the Father Himself. It is by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we become children of God. Dear friend, I want you to know today that if you are not in Christ, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you do not trust in Jesus, you have no audience with God. Oh, God may hear your babblings, but He will pay no heed to them. God pays no attention to the prayers of a rebel. He pays no attention to the prayers of the enemy. If you want to be heard by God, you must be a child of God. Surrender to Jesus Christ, trusting in His salvation. Only then, only then will God hear your prayers. 
Oh, dear friend, today begin prayer with a God-given position as children of God. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus. Effective prayer begins with a God-given position. Second, the second key that we see here is that effective prayer is to, be, is to progress with God-centered priority. Effective prayer is to progress with God-centered priority. Notice how the text continues. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see the, God, the God-centered priority in this prayer? Do you see the God-centered priority of the prayer? As we pray, our first priority in prayer should be priority for God's glory. Our first priority in prayer should be the priority for God's glory. It should not be, God, here's what I want. Here's my want list. Our first priority in prayer should always be God's glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That word hallow means to be, to be separated, to be revered. In other words, to be glorified. God, glorify your name. Magnify your name. Exalt your name in all of the earth. And name, of course, isn't just, just His name, the, the verbal represent, representation of the name of God, but it means all of Him. It means all of His being. Lord, may You, may You be exalted. May You be glorified. Oh, dear friends, our first priority in prayer is not our own needs, our own wants, but our first priority in prayer must always be, always be, always be the glory of God. It must be. It's got to be His glory. There's nothing else worthy of our prayers but God's glory. God is most glorious. He is most wonderful. So we must pray that His glory would be exalted, that His glory would be known, that His glory would be manifest throughout the earth. Oh God, hallowed be Your name. The second priority in prayer is God's purpose. God's purpose. Our second priority must be God's purpose. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your purpose be carried out. May your will be carried out in all the earth just as it is always done in heaven. Oh, look how there's three ways that this, this, this works out. Three ways that we should pray for the purpose of God being fulfilled in the world. First of all, it's personal. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Praying this, we're automatically saying, I want to be in your will. I want to follow your will. I want to do your will, oh Lord. Your will be done in my life. 
Give me strength, Lord, to follow your will. Give me strength to complete your will. Show me, guide me into your will. Lord, let me accomplish your will. Oh, isn't this what Jesus prayed when he was in the garden? Oh, Father, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me, if possible, but not my will, but your will be done. Oh, how we should be praying that God would accomplish his will in us and through us. Second, we should pray your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done in the world as the lost come to know you and be transformed by the power of your grace and become obedient to your will. Oh, this is a prayer for evangelism. Oh, that the harvesters would go out and, and take the gospel to the lost. And as they take the gospel to the lost, hearts would be changed and transformed so that they would come to be obedient to the will of God. Lord, let your kingdom come in the hearts of the lost so that they may live for your glory. And third, it is a prayer for the consummation of the kingdom. Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Just like John says in the book of Revelation, Lord, even now, so, so it is. Lord, come. Come. Come, let your kingdom come now. I'm tired of living in this sin-filled world. I'm tired of living with the spirit of rebellion all around me. I want to see your face. I want to see your kingdom here on earth. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, do you pray for God's kingdom to come? Oh, we should pray for His kingdom to come. Oh, dear friends, we must pray for God's, we must make a priority in our prayers, God's glory and God's purpose. Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa it is the most valuable painting in the world. It, it's it's, it's you know, more expensive, uh, more viewed. It's the most popular painting in all the world. In fact, most people would, would classify it as priceless. It is priceless painting. Now think about this. What if, what if that museum who owns the Mona Lisa, what if they came and said, uh, now Richard, we want to give you the Mona Lisa. We want to give you the Mona Lisa and let you hang it up in your house. Now, how foolish would it be if I took the Mona Lisa and I cut out the picture threw the picture in a drawer, and hung the frame up on the wall. That would be fo pretty foolish, wouldn't it? Because it's not the frame that's valuable. It's not the frame that's precious. It's the portrait, the picture of Mona Lisa. That's what's so precious. That's what's so valuable. Yet, I dare to say that most of our prayers are an empty frame. We began, oh God, give me this, give me that, give me this other thing, and we leave out the glory of God. We leave out that which is most precious. His glory is most valuable, not my needs, not my wants. God's glory, God's purpose must take priority in our prayers. Oh dear friend, we began with a God-given position. And we progress with a God-centered priority. 
Even as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Dear friends, we should be jealous for God's glory. And it should take priority in all our prayers. Effective prayer begins with a God-given position. It progresses with a God-centered priority. And third, effective prayer must end with a God-dependent petition. Effective prayer must be end with, end with a God-dependent petition. Notice the last words of the prayer, the last few statements of the prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This begins by asking for the, the physical needs, our physical needs. We need to go to God and recognize that He is the provider of all of our physical needs. It begins there with that word, give. Give. Think about that for a moment. Give. Give us this day our daily bread. Give means that, God, you have something that I don't have. You have something that I need. So, Lord, give me. Give me. I need your provision. And Jesus says, give me this day. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the very, uh, the very basic sustenances of life. Give us our daily bread. Give us what we need to survive. We need to understand that. Here in our affluent, uh, affluent culture where it seems like we have everything at hand, we need to understand that we have nothing, nothing without the grace of God. Oh, but I, I go to work. I earn my paycheck. I can go to the grocery store. I can buy my own groceries. I provide for myself. Who gives you the ability to work, dear friend? Who allows you to have that job? You could walk out tomorrow and lose that job. You could walk out of here and be in, a, in an accident and be crippled for your, the rest of your life, unable to work. Who gives you the ability to work? It is God. God gives us life. He gives us breath. He gives us being. He holds us together. We are in this form because God's Word holds all of the atoms of our bodies together to make a solid human form. We are absolutely, totally dependent upon God's grace. Oh, Lord, I am nothing without you. I have nothing without you. Lord, give me the basic things I need to live. Provide my physical needs. Second, we must pray to God to provide our spiritual needs. We must pray to God to provide our spiritual need and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness. We owe a debt to God. God deserves our obedience. He deserves our reverence. He deserves our honor and our respect. Yet we, we walk in life doing our own things. We rebel against God. We kick against His authority at every turn of the way. Even we Christians fail to follow God's will. 
Absolutely. And because of our disobedience, because of our rebellion against God, we owe God. We are in debt to God for our sin and our rebellion. Oh, we need God's forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness. And He provides forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we have forgiveness. The only reason we have forgiveness is because God sent His Son, Jesus God, the second person to this earth to take on human flesh and do what we could never do to live in complete, total obedience to the Father's will. He, ne he needed not ever be forgiven of anything. He never offended the Father. He did everything perfectly right, yet He went to Calvary's cross and He paid the debt of sin and rebellion in our place. He received on Himself the wage for the wages of sin is death. Jesus received the wage of our sin upon His own shoulder so that we might have life in Him. And God raised Jesus again from the grave three days later to show that every ounce of sin, every debt had been paid for. There's nothing left. And assures us of complete forgiveness in Christ. Oh, dear friend, do you know the forgiveness of God in Jesus? Do you pray for forgiveness? Now, notice this as well. As we also for, have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What does that mean? Certainly those who have been forgiven much ought to forgive much. This does not mean that we are to have our sins forgiven, that we must be as forgiving as God, for that would never take place. We can never be as forgiving of God. It's not in us to be as forgiving and loving as God. But this is a plea even as we pray, Oh Lord, let me forgive. Lord, teach me to forgive. I want to be like You, Lord God. Teach me and help me. Give me the strength to forgive those who sin against me. Forgive me my debts. Forgive me my debts. And teach me to forgive others. Oh, we need to look to God for that example of forgiveness and learn to forgive. Also, spiritual, our other spiritual need here, we need uh, that spiritual need of forgiveness, but we also need deliverance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us. Deliver us. We are in an evil age. Evil is all around us. We have temptations all around. We have Satan in this world and all of his, his angels working on us, tempting us, drawing us, trying to draw us away from Jesus. We have the world around us tempting us, trying to take us away from God's, world, God's way. We even have this old sinful flesh that tempts us to sin against God. Oh, we need deliverance from the temptation. And it's not in our own power to, to be delivered from temptation. Oh, dear friend, if you try to, to face temptation on your own, you're going to fail. And you will fail miserably. 
Your old body of flesh, it wants to sin. It loves to sin. It wants to pursue the things of this world. You can't do it on your own. But you can do it in the power of God. Oh Lord, deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from the temptations of the world. Deliver us even from the temptation of our own flesh. Oh, how a loving Father uses all of His resources to provide for His children. Think about that, dear fathers. How you would, you would give all of your resources, provide all your resources to the, do the best you can to provide for your children. Not, to, not necessarily to give them all that they want, right? Because not all that they want is good. But dear fathers, I would dare to say that most everyone, every father in here, would do everything possible to provide for his children's needs. To give them what is good. How much more God? How much more God? In fact, Jesus makes that same point on over in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter seven, starting in verse seven. If you want to look right over on the other page there, Jesus says to the disciples, "Ask." and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, wicked, sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Oh dear friend, God is your Father. He wants to give you good things. He wants to pour out His blessings upon you. All we need to do is ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open unto you. Oh dear friends, depend upon God. In humble dependence, depend upon His grace and mercy to provide all of your needs. And, and with a God-dependent petition. Trusting in God's provision at every turn. Oh, you know, God won't give you everything you want. Just like you, dear parents, would never give your children everything that they want. Because everything they want is not what's good. God knows what's good. And He will provide what you need most of all. Sometimes we don't understand that. Sometimes we get things and, and it doesn't seem very good. But one day in eternity, we will see how good it was. God loves His children, and He provides those things that they need. Oh, dear friend, God has unlimited resources, and God eagerly provides for His children's needs. Pray then. Pray with a God-dependent petition. Effective prayer begins with a God-given position, progresses with a God-centered priority, and ends with God-dependent 
petitions. Dear church, dear church, we need effective prayer. We need to be engaged in effective prayer. R.A. Torrey once said, when the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. We need effective prayer. We need mighty prayer warriors who will fall upon their face before God. Who will fall down as beloved children before an almighty master and pray. We need mighty prayer warriors. Mighty prayer warriors who will make God's glory the priority of their prayer. Lord, bring Your glory. Let Your glory be shown in us, in this church, in this community. Let Your kingdom come. Let Your will be done on earth, in First Baptist, in Bastrop, even as it is in heaven. And we need mighty warriors to fall on their face before God and depend upon Him for all of their needs. Oh, dear church, we must be dependent upon God. And the way we showed our dependence upon God is to fall on our faces before His throne of grace, trusting Him as our Heavenly Father and giving it all to Him. We can do nothing, nothing, nothing outside of His power. Oh, dear friend, will you pray? Will you devote yourself to prayer? Oh, maybe you have denied it. Maybe you have pushed it aside. Maybe you have not been effective in prayer because you haven't been praying. Oh, today make the commitment to pray, to be effective in prayer. Oh, dear friend, will you join me today? Will you join me in praying for this church? Praying for every individual member of this church that we might be mighty warriors and, and mighty in Christ. Will you pray that the ministry of this church will take a great effect upon our community? Oh, that the light of the Gospel might shine out from us. Oh, will you, enjoy, will you join me in effective prayer to God? Today there are some here, no doubt that You've never known effective prayer. Because you, you've not begun in the right position. You're not in that God-given position. You're outside of Christ. You're living in rebellion. God will never hear you, dear friend. The only prayer that God will hear from you is a prayer of repentance, of turning away from your sin, turning away from your life of rebellion and living in disobedience to God and turning to God in faith, trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Today is the day that you pray, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my rebellion. I give my life to Jesus. And there you begin in the proper position before Him. And there you begin to see God hearing and answering your prayers. You've been living without Christ. Today, 
Turn to Jesus. He died for you so that you might be a child of God. Turn away from your, rebe your rebellion and trust in Jesus. Come into the kingdom. Become a child of the living God. Oh, Heavenly Father. What a wonderful privilege it is for us, Lord. To come to you in holy prayer. To stand before you as children. Not just as men, not just as women, not just as a, a created being, but we get to come to stand before you as children because of what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross. But Lord, we confess so many of us often neglect prayer. We, we, we neglect to take advantage of that wonderful privilege. Oh Lord, change our hearts today. Lord, we want to, to see Your glory shine out from this place. We want to see Your will be done in, in the world around us. Lord, use us. But Lord, teach us first to pray. Lord, I know today there's some that don't know You. They've been living in disobedience. Lord, I pray that You would open their hearts. Let them see Jesus and come to You as children. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.